Good afternoon and welcome to Find Your Sparkle with Jen, where you'll be inspired, informed, and entertained. I'm your host, Jennifer Stewart, owner of Jazz Potential and creator of Find Your Sparkle. And today my guest is Ken Hines, who is the curator for the Army Museum of Halifax Citadel. Welcome, Ken. Well, it's great to be here, Jen. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Now, one of the things that uh, I, I'll just start off with is about the exhibit that the 97 Gallery has on display right now is all military-themed. Yes, I saw that. And I just wanted to ask you what your thoughts were about that. Well, it's an unexpected pleasure to see that stuff hanging on the wall in the radio station. It's not something that you would uh, you know, expect when you walk through the doors. But the uh, the number of artists that are displayed on the walls here at the station is uh, quite uh, awesome, and uh, the work is excellent too. Isn't it? Is it's it's really impressive it and is. really yeah. great to see. And I love that you were surprised. And uh, surprises, very surprised. surprises are always good. Um, you most have, of the time. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that is. You're right there. That is absolutely true. So a little bit of background with you. I know you had a good career in the army yes that expanded about 30 years or so that's right yeah and what was your favorite thing about being in the army i'm a navy brat Mm -hmm. and i know there's a little bit of a difference between the navy and the army uh, but for you from all the years of of service that you had what are your finest memories i think the uh um, overarching finest memory that I have is that of uh, comradeship with the soldiers I served with uh, and the dedication uh, to our country and to the missions that we undertook together. And um, also, you know, I'd, I'd be uh, remiss not saying that, that uh, you know, also the excitement of, uh, of, of serving your country in different places around the world, uh, seeing how other people live. And uh, the bottom line to that, of course, uh, from my point of view, is that um, I always felt lucky to be a Canadian yes, and uh, lucky to live uh, in, an, in a society where peace, order, and good government rule the day. It's impressive, and some of us take that for granted when we don't have exposure to some of those things that you've seen. For sure. I mean, we're all a product of our experience, and uh, when your only experience is uh, the luxuries that we enjoy over here in Canada, um, it's illustrative and interesting to um, experience other ways of life and see how other people have to live, and uh, much of it is not pretty. No, and I think one of the things that I like to do is remind people to be grateful for all of the blessings that we do have in Canada. It, for sure. I mean, it's sometimes it's easy to um, forget that it is. in the daily grind of life. Uh, you know, you do what you need to do, and uh, you don't have much time, at least these days, to reflect on things. But one of the uh, great advantages that I have in my life anyway, from my own point of view, is that I do take a little bit of time to to reflect on how lucky I am. And I think that's probably due to the, you know, some of the experiences I had when I was in service. One of the practices that, that I have and that I always encourage my clients is to start a grateful journal because it really can be very impactful. And it's a good tool when you're having a lousy day to go back and read about all the blessings that we have. Oh, sure. I mean, I, I often thought it would be nice to uh, be a journaler myself. And a few times in my life, I started off trying to capture my random thoughts on paper. <laughs> and uh, I quickly got distracted and I never did... Uh, I never was able to to, to do that, and uh, but I think it, it's it's helpful uh, if someone can do that uh, and uh, and be able to reflect on those experiences later on. 
Definitely. So when you left the military in around, I guess, 2002? 2002, yes. You moved to Alberta. What was the draw to Alberta? Well, a friend of mine had retired a, a year or so before me, and uh, we visited them out in uh, Cochrane, Alberta. It was a great little town, and uh, there was something about it that uh, kind of uh, stuck with me. So when I retired from the Army, I was in Kingston, Ontario, and uh, we didn't know really where we wanted to go. I wasn't particularly tied. My wife and I weren't particularly tied to Kingston. And uh, I know I knew eventually we would probably wind up back home in Halifax, but... We wanted to try something different, so we went out to, to, to Alberta. And I finished my uh, graduate degree uh, in conflict studies at Royal Rose University, and then I ran for um, um, town council of Cochrane and got elected. Wow. And I uh, spent three years uh, on municipal council there, which was you know, another interesting facet of my life. Uh, I learned one important lesson, though, um, in all of that, which is that uh, politics really isn't for me. <laughs> I was kind of a politician that uh, told people what they wanted or what they needed to know, whether they wanted to hear it or not. And uh, <laughs> sometimes that doesn't <laughs> doesn't bode too well for uh, future success. But I found that most people actually appreciated the uh, candor and honesty. And uh, I really loved the fact that I was really close at that level of government to the people. Right. And uh, you're walking down the street Somebody says, well, what about this? And you said this, and you voted for that. And uh, you could have a nice conversation. And, and I have to say that 99% of them were very polite and useful. So uh, I think um, at that level of politics, uh, you can really make an impact on people's lives because they're all, we're all living in the same community together. So I, I enjoyed that in particular. Well, that's good. So how long did it take you to figure out that politics really wasn't your thing? Uh, about two years into the three-year mandate, and um, I decided then I wasn't going to run again. And uh, we started thinking, my wife Debbie and I, about uh, moving back to Halifax. And uh, real estate prices being what they were in uh, Alberta and what they were in Nova Scotia, it made sense for us to come home. And uh, we've never regretted that uh, decision. It was uh, a wonderful thing to come back to my roots and where the majority of my family uh, lives. And, um, you know, it was just time. It's, I think everyone reaches that point in their lives where they need the connection. I miss the sea. Yes. Um, the smell of the ocean. Mm -hmm. All of the things that are familiar to you. Uh, you can never go back to your youth, but there are many places I go today where I do remember uh, those places from when I was a young boy, and uh, it makes you feel good inside. And, and that's one of the reasons why I came home. It does. It makes. I love being back in Nova Scotia, and I can completely relate to your story. I was in Ontario for ten years, and I couldn't wait to get back home. And again, it's that draw to the ocean. I think is a huge place. That's a, a big huge, one. Plays a huge role in that. And of course, our family and our friends are mm -hmm. here. And let's face it, Nova Scotia is a great place to live. It's not perfect, but it's it's great. Well, there is no such thing as a perfect place. There's always yeah, there are always drawbacks, uh, no matter where you live. But uh, again, it's a matter of perspective. Uh, if you've never lived anywhere else, uh, it's easier to complain about your circumstances than uh, if you've experienced other places, which uh, maybe don't have some of the advantages that we have right here in our hometown. Oh, well said, definitely. We, we tend to complain and, and gripe about all that's wrong instead of focusing on all that is right. For sure. And, and, and just an interesting statistic is, and, and that I've heard this several times, is that about 85% of us look for reasons to complain. Well, that, that's quite surprising. I, yeah, I, didn't, I that, didn't realize that. That leaves about 15% of us that are looking <laughs> for all the good. 
So I'm one of those 15%. I like to think I'm one of those. One of those 15% too. Not to say that we don't have bad days. Well, everyone's got a bad day. Things to complain about. But overall, as a rule, I like to look for the good. For sure. Um, You had an interesting career after coming back to Halifax as well. So retirement, you were obviously, you were young when you retired. Mm -hmm. Um, So you had a whole other lifetime ahead of you. And it looks like you've been really busy in all kinds of areas in your life. It's uh, difficult to know what to do when you spent all of your adult life as a soldier. Yes. Um, But I... uh, I attended graduate school when I retired, and for the most part, irrespective of the uh, subject matter I was studying, it gave me an opportunity to reflect on things and who I really was as a person and uh, what I wanted to do. And one of the things that I wanted to do was to give back because uh, I received so many advantages over the course of my life and so many uh, had so many great experiences in the Army that there had to be some other thing that I could do to continue to serve my country or my community and that was partially one of the reasons why I got into politics and then later on why I volunteered in uh, many of the organizations here in the city where I wound up um, as a project director for our First World War Centennial exhibition at the Army Museum. Uh, we opened in 2014 and after that um, the museum board asked me to uh, uh, become curator of the museum, which I, I didn't realize was going to be so much work, but <laughs> it's good work. Uh, and there's always another project. There's so many projects, so little time. But yes. I think that's, uh, to a certain extent, uh, one of the reasons why I love it. Uh, and uh, I also love the fact that I can uh, delve into various aspects of our history that I didn't have time to do before. Yes. And to present that to a public, to the public in such a way that it's enjoyable and interesting to them. But at the same time, uh, they'll learn something about the, uh, the courage, the service and sacrifice of Canada's soldiers, particularly those who uh, joined uh, from right here in Nova Scotia. That's amazing. I know for myself, I've worked with the the Navy for a number of years. I grew up in a Navy Mm -hmm. house. My ex was Army, and my first experience really working with the Army community per se was when we were in Petawawa. And it's a totally different culture than the Navy, one that I was kind of surprised at the amount of differences Mm -hmm. but the other thing that really shocked me that we as Canadians don't hear much about is the number of casualties that come back and these people who come back with broken backs who are never going to be able to walk again who have you know have lost limbs who have I worked in the hospital in uh, Petawawa for a period of time in the specialty unit and I have to say I was actually blown away at how ignorant we are as Canadians, but not having that information to really get what our soldiers are really doing out there when they go on these trips. It's not right. they, these missions that there is a lot of risk involved, and we don't think about that. And I know it's scary to think about that, but at the same time, I think it's important for Canadians to recognize the level of service and commitment that our members have well of course there's risk in everything we do and uh, the risk is certainly higher in uh, some of the missions undertaken by the military whether it's the navy the air force or the army Um, but one of the things that i think is important uh, to remember is that uh, you know the the level of training is so high and the commitment is is there because it's an all-volunteer canadian forces that uh, people come together and the comradeship the intangibles the leadership 
Mm-hmm. Um, the focus on uh, doing good and, and uh, succeeding in the mission, I think, overrides a lot of the challenges that you face. And um, I'm quite proud of my own service, as anyone who's served in our country's uniform would be, I would imagine. And uh, I, uh, it's something that's still part of me. I still mm-hmm. feel like a soldier. Yes. I've uh, been retired uh, since 2002, so that's... Um, what, uh, 15 years. 15 years. It yeah. seems like yesterday. Um, and uh, in the morning when you get up, you don't have to think about what clothes you're going to wear. You're, <laughs> that was one advantage. That's one, that's one <laughs> advantage. And uh, there's always something different. And um, it was a very disciplined life for the most part. Um, and uh, one that I would never would have traded for anything. That's really great to hear. We're going to take a quick break, and when we continue, we'll be talking a little bit about what's happening with the Army Museum and what's happening with you now. Excellent. Thank you. We'll be right back on CIOE 97.5. You're listening to Find Your Sparkle with Jen. Welcome back to Find Your Sparkle with Jen, and welcome back, Ken. Thanks, Jen. Uh, Before we went on break, we were talking a little bit about your background and coming back to Nova Scotia and some of the things that you're, the great things that you're doing with the Army Museum. And uh, one of those things that you were involved with was the last steps that was erected in Halifax very recently. Now, there's a part two to that. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more about what's happening now? Well, sure. Uh, I want to first just link it back quickly to the, to the last steps. Um, three of my partners, or two, two of my partners uh, in that, very important partners, uh, Corinne McClellan and Nancy Keating, who was the artist, um, we um, managed to put a team together to <clears throat> excuse me, create the last steps memorial arch on the waterfront in Halifax as a place to mark sacred ground for the uh, more than 300 Canadian soldiers who left the Port of Halifax for service overseas in the First World War. And one of the things we did there was to ensure that the gangway leading up between the arch um, were branded with the footsteps of the soldiers leaving Halifax for an unknown future. And as uh, Nancy Keating has often said, their footsteps were always there. We just couldn't see them. And yes. when she said that... Oh, my golly. Oh, I we, got chills. St- well, so did ah. I. We decided at, as that small group to see if we couldn't create um, a complementary piece actually on the battlefield over in Passchendaele in time for the 100th anniversary of the Battle of Passchendaele, which is between the 26th of October and the 10th of November this year. And uh, one of the critical components of that was also going to be um, the branded footprints of the same branded footprints uh, as we have here on the uh, the Wharf of the Maritime Museum, um, right there uh, leading into the, the battlefield at Passchendaele. That's incredible. So we uh, created this project called, <coughs> excuse me, Canada Gate. And it's uh, two steel arches. The entire installation weighs over a metric ton. Wow. And uh, right now uh, it's... Uh, been installed over uh, at Passchendaele at the Canadian National uh, Crest Farm Memorial. And uh, it also marks the sacred ground where 16,000 Canadian soldiers were either killed or wounded during the Battle of Passchendaele. 4,000 were killed in action. Wow. Ten Canadians received the Victoria Cross at Passchendaele, which is the uh, largest number in any battle in the history of the Canadian military. Um, it's very poignant sight. Uh, it's a meaningful site because there aren't too many uh, people from Nova Scotia who don't have an ancestor right. who served in the Army or the Navy or the uh, Royal Flying Corps during the First World War. And to stand there um, in the footsteps 
of your ancestors, your grandfather, your great uncle, whoever it was, mm -hmm. and to see how our country today and how this small group is going to honor that service and sacrifice is quite overwhelming, to be honest. And uh, our project was um, incorporated into the uh, Canadian National Commemoration Program over there by Veterans Affairs Canada. And uh, it's uh, we all feel quite proud, Corinne Nancy and Al Sim, the uh, fabricator of the Canada Gate, myself, we all feel quite proud to have uh, played a small part in uh, commemorating and recognizing the service and sacrifice of all those soldiers who uh, can no longer speak for themselves. And uh, we feel that, um, you know, our bench is deep. We keep saying that. There are no accidents. There's a bunch of right. other things we say. But um, when you think about it, uh, the spirits of those soldiers uh, still watch over us today. Yes. And uh, for all the things we enjoy, all the freedom that we have here in our country, uh, we owe them everything. Yes. And so it's the very least we can do is to mark this centennial with a special effort at Passchendaele, uh, the scene of the bloodiest battle in the history of the Canadian Army. Wow, that's all I can even say. I'm just, I have goosebumps everywhere. That is... Welcome to the club. <laughs> well, it, it's so impactful. I mean, just to think about that. We believe that, it is, yeah. It really, it truly is. I mean, it's something that, you know, at the bare minimum, everyone should go and have a look at the last steps in Halifax. Mm -hmm. But for goodness sakes, if you ever get a chance to go to Belgium and Passchendaele, check it out. I mean, I can't even imagine standing there. I mean, it really completely boggles my mind of all the emotions that you would experience while you're there. And you've had numerous trips back and forth. So sure. you just, I mean. Well, standing there, uh, and the site itself is, is quite significant because behind the, the Canada Gate, looking towards Passchendaele Ridge, um, it's a distance of about 700 meters. And it took the Canadian Corps, 10 days to go 700 meters. And it gives Holy you some cow. idea of the horrific conditions of the battlefield wow. and the um, terrifying nature of trench warfare at that time a century ago. Um, when you stand uh, under the arches of Canada Gate, behind you is the Crest Farm Memorial, and directly in front of you, you see the spire of the Passchendaele Church, uh, which is... Um, which was the initial objective of the Canadian Corps. And uh, when you consider the loss of life, um, the um, tremendous courage of the Canadian soldier, um, it is awe-inspiring, uh, and uh, it makes one feel humble to stand there and consider what you may have done in similar circumstances. And uh, I think uh, as an old soldier, there's a... People often think, you know, people uh, serve their, do it for king and country, and there's a whole bunch of other euphemisms that are used. But in reality, uh, soldiers fight for each other. Yes. Uh, and they're placed in a circumstance, an untenable circumstance in many cases, where the only choice they have is to look after one another and fight to their objective because that's what they're supposed to do. And uh, the, uh, in the, the courage that it takes to do that uh, I think is bolstered by the comradeship, by the friendship and brotherhood and sisterhood that exists among soldiers even to this day. Well, that's incredible. And, and absolutely, I mean, you really have to have that camaraderie with your peers and that mm -hmm. level of trust and knowing and be able to communicate just by looks or, you know, some kind of a sign. And having that, it takes a lot of 
I guess, a lot of practice, a lot of heart. <laughs> and it takes a lot of good leadership to, and, to oh achieve my. those objectives, too. And that's one of the reasons why I think the Canadian Corps was so successful in the First World War, was they took leadership uh, and the uh, inculcation of the values of leadership a little differently than their... Um, than the British Army did and some of the other armies. Uh, it was more of an egalitarian experience, if you can okay. believe it, in the Canadian Corps. And uh, the leadership of the Army at that time, the Canadian Army, felt that every single soldier from the top commander down to the lowest private needed to understand what the mission was, right. needed to understand where they had to go in their part in the battle so that they could better fight for one another and achieve their objectives. Well, it comes to, down to communication. It does, for sure. And, and passing that information along rather than just being blindly told where, exactly right. where to go. Yeah. And that, that would make a huge difference. I can definitely see how that certainly led to this, the success there, for sure. Personal initiative can never be discounted. And, no. Uh, and the, in, in that particular case, uh, there was plenty of personal initiative at very low levels uh, to ensure that uh, the objectives were met and that the reputation of the Canadian Army was such that it, along with the Australia-New Zealand Army Corps, uh, were together used very frequently as shock troops uh, after Vimy Ridge because of their effectiveness in the offensive operations of the First World War. That's incredible. I, I really appreciate that history <laughs> history lesson, and I'm sure our listeners really appreciate that too. And I really encourage our listeners, if you don't know you know, some of your history of your ancestors to have a, a look. And there's a book that Corinne had mentioned, the Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia's part in the Great War. Right. Um, and that would be a great resource. It is a great resource. In fact, it's online. And uh, in there, you can get a brief history of every single unit um, that was raised for service during the Great War. There were 39 of them that were raised, 11 infantry battalions, uh, only two of which uh, were not broken up for reinforcements, the 25th Battalion, Nova Scotia Rifles and the 85th Battalion, Nova Scotia Highlanders. But all of the soldiers uh, arriving in England uh, were used as reinforcements for the existing battalions in the field with the Canadian Corps. And uh, I think it's important to reflect on the population of our province at the time, the uh, numbers who volunteered, 30,000 Nova Scotians volunteered for service wow. overseas, and 3,000 Nova Scotians never came home. Holy and cow. And that's a big number that for is, a small province. My God, it is ago. a huge, that is a huge number. Yeah. Again, I have the goosebumps, that's for sure. Now, I have a question for you. Sure. You're supposed to be retired. That's correct. <laughs> I, I, I keep telling myself that. In fact, my wife keeps telling me that all the time. Um, but I can't see you really ever really retiring. I mean, what does retiring even mean? Well, I think it's all about balance. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, no matter what stage of life you're at, you have to create some balance between the things you want to do, your personal life, and the things you feel that you have to do. Uh, I'm driven to do things um, that are um, outside my own self-interest. Uh, it's just a personal thing with me. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I like to give something back, as I mentioned you know, at the beginning. Um, but you have to balance that off with uh, the fact that, you know, life is short. And so you want to do some of the things you want to do. I uh, enjoy life. And uh, for me, part of the enjoyment is to uh, serve the community and continue to serve my country in whatever way I can. That's really fantastic. On a more personal level, what kind of things do you see yourself in getting involved with or doing for you, for Ken? Well, I want to do some more traveling. Um, my wife and I want to go to Europe together for uh, a non-working trip. <laughs> um, we 
like to go away in the wintertime or we want to spend a bit longer uh, away from home during the winter months. And I'm also uh, trying to get some writing done. I've uh, I started a, a novel a number of months ago, and I never, ever seem to be have enough time to uh, sit down and concentrate on what I'm trying to write. So I'm hoping that uh, over the next little while, I'm going to cut back a little bit on some of the things I'm doing and try to devote more time to that. And, uh, you know, just walking the dog in the park. <laughs> that's a, well, that's a good thing. I mean, it's sometimes it's those simple little things. Yeah. Do you see yourself ever not going to a an outside job? No. Uh, you've got to do something. You can't sit home and watch television and read books no. uh, and isolate yourself from the rest of the community. It's a personal thing. I, uh, I believe you have to be out there. Uh, you have to be inspired by people to do something beyond your own self-interest. I, I really wholeheartedly believe that. And luckily for me, I'm surrounded by good friends uh, and uh, comrades who uh, inspire me to be better than I am and to try and do things to continue to serve my community. For anyone who's retiring and thinking, what am I going to do next? What kind of tips can you give them before we leave today? Well, don't try too hard. Um, <laughs> what comes next will, you know, um, appear at some point in your search. Um, but do what you love. And um, if you love history, get involved in a museum. Uh, get involved in a library. Uh, if you love serving your community, get involved in uh, many of the uh, nonprofit groups that exist in our in our town, our city. Uh, do something to help other people. It'll make you feel good, and it's the right thing to do. You know what? I couldn't agree more. I love being involved in the community. My goal is to help and reach and touch as many people as I can and have some kind of positive influence. And that's that's for me, that's really what is important. And, of course, doing things that you love and feeling that passion and that mm -hmm. purpose. It has been, I can't believe we're out of time already, but it has definitely been a great time to have you here. I really appreciate you stopping in. And well, you made it fun, Jen. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It has been an absolute pleasure. And I will, hopefully, we'll be seeing each other again soon. I'm sure we Anytime. will. Anytime. I'd love to be here. Thanks so much. And this is Jen signing off from Find Your Sparkle with Jen. You're listening to CIOE 97.5 FM. And a special thanks to Jim Francis, the producer of this show. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.